Welcome to Back Porch Leadership, and I'm your host, Ken McQuiston. Here at Back Porch Leadership, we talk about leadership, character, culture, and those events that we've experienced along our way to help us and to help each other become better at what we do. We like to give people the opportunity to learn things that will help them to be better role models, leaders, and examples in both their personal and professional lives. So sit back, relax, and welcome to my back porch. Welcome back, everyone. You know, I've got to tell you, over the last several weeks, running up to and coming down from the 20th anniversary of 9-11, I have probably done more soul-searching, listening, watching everything from news reports to TV shows about 9-11, you know, its impacts on the country, things that happened, uh, you know, from the tragedies of the loss of life, the way it impacted our country, but also some of those things that occurred during the process that brought the country closer together. You know, for each and every one of us that were alive or could remember that day, because I know there's a lot of folks that were pretty young when uh, 9-11 happened, that it's not much more than something that they get from a history class. Similar to what many from my generation thought of the attack on Pearl Harbor. You know, I've watched movies about it. I saw, I heard about it in history class and, and read books, but I didn't really experience it. Well, 9-11 was something that I experienced, uh, like a majority of you have. And for each one of us, it impacted us differently. You know, you know my background, you know my story. I was in the military. I was at a fighter unit in Germany. Uh, with F-16 and A-10 fighters, you've, you've heard me talk about that, so I don't need to rehash that. But the parts of 9-11 that I don't talk a lot about is the way it impacted me as a husband, as a father, as a role model, as trying to be a better person uh, in the aftermath of it. Because I, like many of you, not only shared my fear of the event, but my rage after it. I was, I'm not going to shy away from the fact that I wanted to inflict damage and harm on those that brought damage and harm to us. And those, those waves of emotion were things that I still, to this day, wrestle with. You know, I, I still remember going off on my first deployment into uh, Afghanistan with a group of incredible people from the 52nd Fighter Wing in Germany. You know, folks like George Chambers and Christy Wilson and, and, and so many others who were part of that uh, response in the aftermath of 9-11. But people, way too many for me to name, went from being co-workers and 
brothers to, to being brothers and sisters for life. Because it's hard to explain exactly what going to a combat zone is all about unless you've been there. Now granted, hand-to-hand combat and all that other stuff, I was not involved nor engaged in that. But being there with the folks that did every single day, day in and day out, was an experience that I never would like to relive, but cherish it for what it was. And what does that have to do with now? You know, here it is a week after, you know, the recognition of the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and I'm talking about it. You're probably saying, well, shouldn't we move on? You know, all right, we did that. Now is it time to move on? Well, to be quite, quite frank, I don't think it is time to move on. Because some of those lessons, some of those things that impacted so many during that time are things that we still need to give some attention to. Because where I'm going with this is that, okay, 20 years ago, we became unified as a nation around a symbol, around a mindset of what freedom is like, a mindset of what a democracy is all about, the symbol of an American flag, a symbol of the World Trade Centers as they stood majestically over the city of New York and with them not being there any longer. We had rallied around ourselves. It didn't matter what your political affiliation was. It didn't matter what your ethnicity was. It didn't matter what your religious faith, your sexual orientation. It didn't matter if you had a lot of money or you you didn't have any at all. None of that mattered because we were all unified and going in one direction. Now, at that time, None of us knew what the next 20 years was going to look like. And none of us wanted it ever to end up the way it did with the sudden evacuation of well over 120,000 people from the Kabul airport in Afghanistan. I was not happy how that plan was executed. I really wasn't. But I will tell you this. The thing that I was beside myself excited about, or I shouldn't say excited, but was knowing that the men and women who were going in there that represented our country to ensure a life better for what they have now to those Afghan nationals is something that should be recognized with great gratitude and a sense of accomplishment. You know, we're talking about the, you know, the horrible pictures or the video of that C-17 leaving the Kabul airport with people literally holding on to the sides of the airplane in hopes of getting out of there should be a clear indicator to everyone listening just how much people want to be able to live in an environment that we have. I can assure you that not one of those 120-some thousand people that were AIRVAC'd out of Afghanistan cared about the left side of the aisle or the right side of the aisle. 
They didn't care about anything other than the fact that they would get an opportunity to live in a country where they did not have to fear losing their life because they were a woman or because they were a young girl. That they wanted to move to a place where they'd be able to get an education, to be able to earn a living, to be able to have a kind of lifestyle that although has its challenges, still is significantly better than what they've had. I've had the opportunity to be at the Kabul airport many times, in fact. And I can tell you that the town that surrounds the Kabul airport, or the city, is not a place that I thoroughly enjoyed being. It would not be any kind of representation to what you get to experience here in the United States. But the one thing I do know is that the largest majority of people that are there are people that just want to have a good life. They want to be able to provide for their families. They want their families to have education opportunities and, and to be able to do those things that we have grown accustomed to taking for granted. So what happened along the way after September 11th where we came together as a country and we unified ourselves in a country that we became a place that went from being part of the we to being all about me. And what I mean by that is we are fractured in so many places right now. Whether it's politically, whether it's what news channel you listen to, whether it's what president or what administration you want to support. It's almost like if you're not on my side, you're the enemy. If you don't agree with my side of the aisle, you're a bad person. Just look at social media. Go out to social media right now and if you find one person who admits that they have voted for the current president of the United States, they get berated by everybody who still thinks that the former president should have been reelected. It's actually quite ugly. Where did we lose our way? Where did we get to a point where we have these circles. And these circles are like what I would refer to as kind of, I don't know, neighborhoods where like people come together. And the like people come together because they feel safe. They feel like they are, pe they are with people like them. But what has happened is that we have so many of these circles now that that one big circle that we had immediately after 9-11 that did away with all of those other cultural kind of divides has seemed to have gone away. You know, one more thing that I consistently liked about the military 
was the fact that when I went to basic training with my 50 other guys and gals that I had no clue who any of them were when we started, I know there were people in that group that came from affluent families, but I know there were some that came from severe poverty. I know that there were some that had college degrees that were enlisted in the military and some who were barely able to graduate from high school. But when you peeled all of that away and you took away their expensive shoes or their cheap shoes and put them all in the same uniform and gave all the guys the same haircut, they started to come together and mold and bond into a group of people that really didn't care about any of those other issues because they knew that the only way we'd be successful is we work together. Give some thought to that. Now granted, I'll be the first to tell you that I respect people's ethnicities, their sexual orientations, their religious faiths. I, I, I do. But here's what I don't care about. When I meet you on the street, or I meet you in a work environment, or I meet you at a sporting event or a social activity or no matter where it is, I could really care less about where you go to church, how much money you have in the bank, what kind of car you drive, whether your kid's on the honor roll or your kid's struggling in school. And the reason I say that is because if you treat me with respect, I'm going to treat you with respect. And a lot of times, if you don't treat me with respect, I'm not going to treat you any differently than I would treat anyone else. Because in my part of the world, I guess the, the part of the world I was raised in, is that I've come to a realization that I've got to accept people that are different from me. Now, was I always like that? Absolutely not. God, when I was a younger kid and I lived in a, you know, a uh, what you could refer to as a divided community. There was an African-American portion of the community. There was, the, there was an Italian area. There was an Irish area. I mean, there was a Hispanic area. There was Chinatown. There was all these different things. But when it came to going to school... Not a whole lot of that really mattered. Now there were flare-ups. I'm, you know, I'm not going to tell you that there weren't. And there were people that were very close to me that didn't think the same way I did, or didn't think the same way I do. And I have to sometimes accept them for who they are. But here's the thing: the topic of this week is we versus versus me. When can we get back to caring about everyone, regardless of your circle? When can we get back to a place where we can agree to disagree, but not hate you for an idea that's different than mine? You know, this current election that seems to be nonstop 
that we can't get past it and move forward as a country. That everything that happens, you know, that's in a positive light has, was because of this political party. And everything that's challenging or is not going as well is a part of a different party. Why can't we just agree that every once in a while we're not going to get our way? And you know what? That's all right. You know, when you think about the Constitution of the United States, the Declaration of Independence, and, and all those, you know the heading of the most important document that guides our country starts off with three simple words. We the people. It doesn't say we the white people. It doesn't say we the black people. It doesn't say we the Hispanic people. It doesn't say we the Asian people. It just says we the people. And you know what? I like being part of the the. You know, we the people. I should get a shirt that just says the on it. When anybody asks me what it means, I'll say I'm part of we the people. Now, this may sound like I'm a little frustrated, and it's because I am. For us as leaders, the only way that we change the environments around us is by leading by example. And when we lead by example, the me part goes away. When we are with those that we are either leading, mentoring, representing, when we act like the way we would expect our entire society to act, others start to do it as well. It's infectious. I had this uncle when I was a little kid. His name was Uncle Slim. And Uncle Slim was amazing. He was a man of marginal education. He lived with his brother and his family until almost, well, until he had passed away. He had numerous health issues. And he was not a guy that was, you know, going to uh, change the world. He was a man who was just happy to be alive. And one of the amazing things about my Uncle Slim is that he would walk from the town next to us, it was called Norwood, to our house that we lived in, in Falcroft. And every single person he walked by, he would say, Hello, nice day, isn't it? Or, Hello, how are you? He never missed an opportunity to greet someone. And here I am, a young kid walking with him every once in a while. And now I am north of 50, many laps around the sun later. And many years passed, my uncle being passed away. And one of the most valuable lessons I ever learned was the ability to just say hello, good morning, how are you? 
I know that right now it drives my wife crazy and it has been for the 34 plus years that we've been together, but I'm a morning person. I wake up in the morning and I'm ready to say good morning. How are you? How you doing? My wife, not so much a morning person. As a matter of fact, my kids aren't morning people either, at least for the most part. They still, to this day, tell stories about how horrible their lives were as children when I had to come in and wake them up in the morning because I'd turn the light on and I'd start singing. God, it aggravated them so much. But now I've noticed that my daughter, who has a young girl of her own, all of four years old, she sings to her daughter every day. So my Uncle Slim, the guy that taught me about saying hello, waking up good in the morning, and not being afraid to sing, is having it taught three and four generations later. So what are you doing? What are you doing to help our country, our nation, the people that we work with, live with, and grow with? What are we doing to help us get back to the we instead of me? God knows I am not a perfect guy. I'll never claim that I am. I've got more flaws than I've got days on, my, on the calendar. But I am one of those guys that I hope, I am the eternal optimist. I always look at the glass as being half full instead of half empty. And I'll be the first to admit that I'm not the most book smart guy in the world. But I like to watch other people listen and learn from them. And my Uncle Slim's not going to show up in any history book other than mine. But he taught me something that's carried me for years and years and years. Who has been that person in your life that you can look back on that taught you a valuable lesson like that and wonder if you're honoring and respecting them by doing that? So as we get past the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and although... The, the, the wounds of that day will never totally heal. We will always remember it. But the other, aside from the devastation and destruction and loss of life, the thing that I like to take away from that is the heroic bravery of the first responders, the firefighters, the police officers, the medical professionals who rushed into a building and went up the stairs while others were coming down. I think of the countless thousands of military people who run to the sound of the guns, a phrase that we use in the military, to defend other people. Now that does not mean that you need to be a first responder or a person in the military to be respectful, have great courage, and be a leader. Simply by how we carry ourselves every day is the way that we get to a better place. So try this. Try to treat people with dignity and respect. Understand that you're not always going to agree with someone. But never miss the opportunity to listen to their perspective. 
And if you do disagree, what's wrong with agreeing to disagree? I've actually had people who have unfriended me on Facebook because they didn't like a comment that I had said or statement that I had made. And you know what? That hurts my heart. But I'm not going to let it change who I am. So if we're going to complain about political leaders or community leaders, things like that, then what are you going to do to change it? Are you going to be the person that stands up and gets behind that podium and, and tries to do a better job? Because I'll tell you what, I get a kick out of reading some of the comments of people write up on Facebook, he's not my president, or this person is this, or this person's that. And I think what's pretty interesting is the fact that it's really easy to be the quarterback in a football game on Monday when the game's played on Sunday. And what I mean by that is, until you stand in the fire, until you stand in their shoes, until you're in that position to make the decisions that they have to make, try not to be as judgmental, but a little more understanding. So with that being said, let's try this going forward. Let's try to look at the world as a glass half full and to see that where we can contribute to make it better. And let's start with the people that we live with. Let's be respectful to them. Let's make sure that we can put our phones down and our iPads and stuff like that when they're trying to have a conversation with us and truly listen. When that person wants to have that political discussion, you know, what side of the aisle you're on, left or right, do the best you can to pay attention. But understand this. For all those things in the world that we're not really good at, or for all the flaws that our country has, just remember there's people like those 120-some thousand people in Afghanistan that were trying to get out would literally give their lives, climb walls, brave beatings to have what we have. Try to give that some thought. So, from that, I'm going to wrap up. Now, we're going to take a brief break, and then I'm going to come back and do a a little Profiles on Courage piece that I've been working on for a little while. So, thanks for your time and talk to you again after we take a break. All right, well, hey, welcome back. You know, the first half of the show, we talked about 9-11, getting from the we to the me. And today, we're going to wrap up this segment with what I'd like to call some profiles in courage. This is a section I want to start talking about where we identify some people in the world that have really made it a better place to live because of their impact. And I can't help but think about these two guys, especially this time of the year. Now, these two guys are two guys that most people have not heard of. 
One of them, his name is Cameron Kozai. The other one is a young guy named Hollis Dory. Now, for all of you out there, if you're looking for a TV star or a movie star or a sports athlete wizard or anything like that, you're not going to find it. You're not going to find these two guys there. But what you are going to find is two young men who are literally, literally able to change the world by something they had no control over but made the best of every moment they had. You see, Cameron Kozai is my nephew. He and his family are from the uh, Seattle, Washington area. And the other young man, Hollis Doherty, uh, these two guys didn't know each other from Adam. But them and their families became linked together like brothers and sisters and families never have. You see, both Cameron and Hollis were inflicted with a disease called diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma, or DIPG. This is an illness that basically, I believe, is a cancer that impacts mainly children, where it constricts the the spinal cord to a point where the person loses their life. Now, why would I call these two guys profiles in courage? Because I'm going to be honest with you. First, Cameron's got such a special place in our heart. He's long before he was even diagnosed. You know, he and his brother, uh, Jordan, just so much like my boys, Kyle and Scott, that, you know, was first Kyle, he's the oldest, then it was Scott, then it's Jordan, then it was Cameron, Cameron the youngest. And when these four knuckleheads got together, it was nothing but madness, mayhem, and humor. They were all athletes. They were all really good at their respective sports. They all had a deep love for the families. And of course, the the wise guy of the group in my family is my son Scott. The wise guy in the group in uh, the Kozai family was without question or doubt Cameron. But here's what happened. You know, instead of cowering and just basically waiting to pass on. Both Cameron and Hollis, along with their families, decided to fight. And not only did they decide to fight, they decided to tell their story to everyone and anyone that would listen. They showed up on news programs. They showed up on talk shows. They went to events. And even when they were both being treated with this illness or disease that they never backed down even to the very final days of both of their lives. I watched entire communities raise up in support of these two young men in ways that I had never seen before. 
as this disease ravaged their their bodies, their mothers and their fathers were rallying communities around support to get more attention to this disease so that it would help not only their children but all the other children in the world that are impacted with this. And I'll tell you, for a guy, you know, who has this long military background surrounded by, you know, these incredible leaders. These two young men shook me to my very core with regard to folks that I would like to be like and emulate. You know, it was funny, Cameron used to joke around with me all the time and he, he would call my wife Uncle Mary and he would call me Aunt Ken. And he would say that because he thought that I just listened to everything that my wife told me to do. And you know what? He's a pretty good judge of character. Because, you know, sometimes that happens. But even as I sit in my office or my recording studio now, I look to my right and I see the name tag that was given to me at Cameron's uh, a funeral service that I was blessed to be able to speak at. And it's clipped right next to my computer, my computer monitor. And it says, Aunt Ken McQuiston. The picture of Cameron. You know, a lot of times for leaders, we think that, you know, the greatest leaders are those who have, you know, older, have more experiences. You know, if they're athletes, they won a Super Bowl or a World Series or you know, or ran a Boston Marathon, or, or did something like that. But what these two guys did is that they were able to move people that had done that. An example, Seattle Seahawks football team basically adopted Cameron to the point where Super Bowl champion running back when Cameron was at the practice one day, Marshawn Lynch gave him his actual game helmet. A game helmet. And told him to take it home with him. And he did. Now when you think of a leader, we don't always assume that it can be a child. But what... Cameron and Hollis have done is they've moved the world. Their impact on society and in the fight to find a cure for this disease. What started off as a ripple is now a tsunami. Led by their parents who have never given up and have never stopped fighting in their honor. Sadly, both Cameron and Hollis are not with us anymore. But I will tell you this. There's not a day that goes by where I don't think of those two guys. There's not a day that goes by that I don't hear from, and, and usually on social media, the efforts 
that the Cameron Kozai Foundation and the Hope for Hollis Foundation have in finding a cure and raising money for this effort. So the reason I say that and we wrap up the show with that this week is you know in the first segment I talked about the we versus me. Well a primary example of we versus me as Cameron and Hollis and how those two young men lost way before they should have been lived the life of we better than most people I know they loved everybody they came in contact with they were awesome young men gone way too early so if you want to look at an example of we versus me and something we can all aspire to be look no further than these two guys because there's not a day that goes by that I don't miss them and you know it's 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 kind of interesting that I've probably spent less than a couple of hours with uh, Hollis's dad, Sean. But every time I'm with him, he's got this gregarious smile and laugh and incredible focus on doing right by his family. And his wife, she is equally as committed. To my brother and sister-in-law, Paul and Cindy, their tireless efforts to find a cure for this horrible disease is something that I respect for them for more than anything. And of course, Cameron's older brother Jordan does the same as well. So folks, as we wrap up this week, we wrap up this podcast Let's remember what's most important in life. We will be taken care of if we spend more time thinking of we than me. If we as leaders take care of those people around us, those people that we are leading, mentoring, being role models for, all the me stuff takes care of itself. Because you earn respect, you earn trust, you're cared about, you're cared for. And people have a tendency of listening to you more when you talk about the greater good versus the individual good. So folks, thanks a bunch. Thanks for joining this week. Look forward to talking with you again soon. And uh, like I said, don't miss the opportunity to give me some feedback. Let me know if there's any topics you'd like us to touch. And I wish you all the very best. Take care now. Hey, thanks for tuning in this week and listening to our episode on Back Porch Leadership. I'd really love to get your feedback on how we can improve the show and make it better. So please feel free to get me at Ken.McQuiston at gmail.com 
or you can get me on Twitter at sign Chief Ken McHugh and we'd love to get your feedback. You know, maybe there's a topic you'd like to talk about. Maybe you can let me know what you think about the show, about the format and how we're doing things. Just love to hear from you. So if you get a chance, reach out and look forward to seeing you next time on The Back Porch.